Hello and welcome to Mashley at the Movies. I am Matt. I'm Ashley. And I'm Garrett. And we are here with uh, what might be our first double feature episode. So uh, we are primarily going to be reviewing the new movie in theaters, The Turning. And then we're also following that immediately we're going to be discussing um, the new Netflix short uh, by (laughs) David Lynch called What Did Jack Do? Uh, it's a 17-minute short, so we're just going to kind of tack that on here at the end. Anyway, uh, Garrett's going to tell us about The Turning. So, The Turning, very odd for a horror movie to be released in January, but here we are. Mm. And uh, typically this is what you get. Uh, the Turning <laughs> is uh, a, a, it's a period piece. I would. Uh, it takes place in the 90s. Uh, they set that up right away. Uh, I'll get into stuff later. They could do a better job with that. But, um, for real. So, you have uh, Kate, who is a teacher or a nanny, and she takes a new job with this new family in this gigantic... Uh, tell me you've heard this story before, because <laughs> so many horror movies, I thought this was a Shirley Jackson novel. Turns out, it is based off of a novel, and we'll go into that later. But she goes, and she's with this family, uh, with a young girl uh, named Flora that she'll be teaching, and then also a troubled young man named Miles, played by Finn Wolfhard from Stranger Things. Probably the only draw to see this movie. Uh, But as in you ever go to a giant house in the middle of nowhere in a horror movie, uh, supernatural stuff goes down, and Kate has some supernatural mental episodes that play out in the climax of this movie. Yeah, so this movie is based on um, The Turn of the Screw by Henry James. And there's been, I think, quite a few movies um, made based on that novel. Um, there's one called The Innocence, which came out in... The 1961. Early, 1961, starring Deborah Carr. That's actually quite good and is available on Criterion if you're interested in watching it. Um, that's a fantastic movie. Um, this one is not a great adaptation Um there's a lot of there's a lot of good things to say about it. I think actually there's um, it's definitely atmospheric. It gets an at the atmosphere right. The house is suitably creepy and it's full of creepy things like scary mannequins and scary dolls and and you know you see a lot of ghostly images and there's some jump scares and I don't know it, the atmosphere f- feels right. The acting is pretty good, I thought. Um, Mackenzie Davis plays, you know, the the governess who comes to live there. I thought she did a really good job. I really liked uh, Brooklyn Prince, who's the young girl, Flora. I thought she was very convincing. Um, and, uh, yeah, Finn Wolfhard is, is very good, too, as the troubled older kid, Miles. Um, so there's a lot going for the movie, but I just felt like the story was kind of confused and really suffers from a bad ending. Um, there's yeah. kind of... I, you know, I don't want to go into it, but there's kind of multiple endings, and it just leaves you kind of unsatisfied. Um, what what yeah. did you think? Yeah, so I'm a mixed opinion on this movie. Um, it's been trashed, you know, uh, by critics and even audiences, so I'll just go ahead and give you the Rotten Tomato score. So the critic Rotten Tomato score is 12%. <laughs> Uh, and the audience score is 13%, you know, and which is a little unusual because, you know, a lot of critics, you know, 
sometimes critics are, for your run-of-the-mill horror movie, are, are they're fairly dire about them, but then audiences typically like them more than critics. But this is, you know, equally reviled, I guess. Right. Um, I don't dislike it as much, but I have to say, um, it was plugging along there for quite a while in my mind as being like, you know, this is pretty decent. I mean, I would give this, you know, a six maybe, or seven mm-hmm. even. Um, and then... It, like in the last five minutes, it goes to it just falls apart in my opinion, and it's I'm gonna give it a lower <laughs> score. Um, I did like uh, Finn Wolfhard. I did like the the girl that places his younger sister, mm-hmm. um, and there's a supporting cast. Barbara Martin I think plays a sort of a, the governess there mm-hmm. or whatever, and she's good. You know, Mackenzie is it Mackenzie Davis, um, the actress in this. She. Yeah. Um, I've seen her in different things, and, and I've liked her okay in this and, uh, and other those things. And, and in this one, she was all right, but um, actually, she was actually maybe one of the parts I sort of liked the least about it. I didn't dislike her, but I just didn't think her character did did make a strong enough impression on me. Mm-hmm. Um, the direction I actually think was quite good. It's Floria Sigismondi and. She's looking at her resume in IMDb. She's directed a lot of like, music videos and things to do with music artists. So people like you know Katy Perry, Ellie Goulding, Pink, David Bowie, um, um, Rihanna. She's directed a couple episodes of The Handmaid's Tale, and now we have um, The Turning. I have to say that nothing about this movie come across to me as a music video, and I say that in a complimentary way. Mm-hmm. I thought the movie is, I think as you mentioned earlier, it has atmosphere. Um, it, it it has some genuinely suspenseful moments in it, I thought. It's, there's some creepy stuff with mannequins, you know. <laughs> um, and, and, and I don't know. I thought it was very effective. Um, that's all I'll say at the moment. Yeah. Uh, so I understand what the movie was trying to do. Uh, I brought up Shirley Jackson because the classic novel, The Haunting of Hill House, it relies a lot more on terror and relationships than it does, uh, you know, supernatural jump scares and whatnot. So I saw this movie going towards a path that's like, oh, this is like more of a state of the the mental state of our characters instead of uh, the atmosphere going around them. But then it takes an abrupt turn and all this supernatural stuff happens. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, but, oh, okay, so it is real, okay. Mm-hmm. And then it, like, instead of relying on the relationship, it de- definitely relies heavy on jump scares and felt like it just, it was a bit herky-jerky and didn't really have a, a real sense of direction. Uh, if it would have went one way or the other, I probably would have enjoyed it better. I, like, I probably also would have enjoyed a more satisfying ending. I think the ending was really trying to play up, oh, let's get this, uh, you know, is it all in her head? I mean, Guillermo del Toro's early works were all these horror movies where you didn't know if it was supernatural or, you know, people dealing with, you know, stuff in their head. Mm -hmm. Those were awesome. Uh, This one was not so much... um, yeah, I I agree with Ashley and Matt. The atmosphere was actually really good, except... Uh, so they said it in the 90s, and uh, the way they did it was with Kurt Cobain's suicide, except from there... On, on TV news, you know? Yeah. Not, not actually... Okay, sorry, the sorry. <laughs> uh, so it was like right from the get-go, oh, this is set in the 90s. So I thought, okay, they're trying to make it so, you know, you can't have cell phones break a plot device. Yeah. Uh, except... 
they make a phone call for five minutes. So <laughs> yeah. that, that wasn't it. Um, then uh, I was like, okay, cool. They're going to just throw some, like, you know, 90s pop at it. Like, <laughs> no, the stuff they played was grungy but more indie, and I didn't really – I didn't recognize any of it. Mm-hmm. You can you can really get me by the, the collar <laughs> on uh, uh, nostalgia. Stranger Things gets me. Uh, mm-hmm. It The chapter one really got me. Uh, this one, I didn't really get the whole 90s feel other than uh, she hands the kid a CD while she's listening to cassette tapes. Uh, mm-hmm. So – I don't understand why it had to be in the 90s. Uh, I thought if they would have dove into 90s pop culture and maybe some humor, it probably would have had me a lot better. Overall, uh, yeah, I uh, I didn't hate it, but it also wasn't that good. I, I also have to say, too, you know, the, the opening scene where it's in her apartment that she's sharing with a friend um, and... They establish it's the 90s because they see the news of Kurt Cobain's death on the TV. Um, I have issues with the production design in that in that scene because, it, it, to me, it looked like something out of the 60s or 70s, not something out of the 90s, the, the, the look of her apartment. I just thought, this is really weird. Um, I mean, I was a, very much alive and aware of things in the 90s, and I don't... In no, no place I went to. Mm. So it's another, like th- is another thing I think they were trying to do is I think they're trying to build like she's from humble roots and these uh, she's moving into an area with pri- privileged roots. Mm. And that actually kind of threw me off because, you know, the protagonist, uh, Kate, she uh, definitely has like this, you know, inner judgment over people of privilege and my whole thought was that that don't go work in a mansion with a bunch of rich people i mean you you could have stayed at your inner city teaching job uh so that really kind of threw me off if you didn't want to be with these what she called thoroughbreds i I didn't pick up the judgment from her though well i I felt like you know so the 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 kids i'll say not really the kid but but the finn wolfhard character was a privileged brat and i and i mean and whether whether he was a privileged background or not, he was acting like a brat. Well, and and I, so I think she didn't like that. I didn't pick up that she had an issue with rich it was, people. It was, it was the whole quote where uh, you, the, the, the governess of the house asked her what's wrong, and she just goes, ask the thoroughbreds. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I well, that's because the governess had said that they were thoroughbreds. Yeah, I didn't remember her saying yeah, yeah. that. She's, I remember her saying they come the gover- from the governess, and she said that they're thoroughbreds. Yeah, uh-huh. so that she was just yeah. kind of throwing back what the governess had referred to them as. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. The, the setting it in the '90s did seem kind of random, um, and I kept looking for some sort of payoff for why it had to be in the '90s, but it, there never was one. In fact, when she's at the house, I mean, the house is—I don't know when the house was built, but it definitely feels like it. Aside from the occasional phone call that they make or the CD that they listen to, it feels like it could have been set in the late 1800s, which is when the novel was original, mm-hmm. written, originally written. Um, so yeah, the the random setting of the 90s was just kind of distract a distraction. I agree. Um, I, yeah, I felt like they might have been trying to do something kind of um, deep, like you know, the the haunting that she was perhaps really experiencing or imagining is some sort of allegory for um, parental loss. There's a lot of, a lot of people in this movie have lost their parents prematurely. Um, there was um, maybe an allegory for abuse. There seems to be some abuse in the history um, that we, that comes to light. Um, 
I, I don't know. It just wasn't very convincingly or very well done. And yeah, the the, the ending, it, it it wants to have that ambiguity of what really, what did we really see? You know, it's supposed to leave you thinking. We won't talk too much. We won't spoil well, we the ending. Won't, we won't spoil the ending. But it, it's supposed to leave you thinking and uh, it just... I don't know. It just left me kind of frustrated, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, earlier I was having trouble, I think, t- talking about the, the Mackenzie Davis character. And, and I think what my, my issue with it is, with her character is, um, whenever I'm watching a movie, uh, particularly a movie where somebody is in a situation that you really... Um, you're supposed to like feel for them, right, and be there with them, and mm-hmm. almost put yourself in their place and that kind of thing. Um, when you're in that same situation, you have to like and identify with that character to a some extent. And I had a conscious issue throughout most of this movie with the fact that she didn't leave multiple times, mm-hmm. uh, or at least try to. Um, and in fact, at one point, after some stuff had already gone down that would freak me out and would make me think, okay, it's this time to go. She's on the phone with a friend, and the friend's asking, like, you know, do you like it there? Everything okay? And she's like, oh, yeah, I really like it. And I'm like, what? And, yeah, and things get worse, but she, I don't know. And she makes at one point, she, she says the reason why she's not left. But, I mean, I'm sorry, I, I, I would have, you know, I w- wouldn't have been, I, w- I would have eschewed that reason. Um, yeah, her reason for not leaving was not convincing. Yeah. So I that think, yeah. that created a disconnect for me, yeah. uh, and I wasn't able to really root for her, identify with her. Um, yeah, I, I would have to agree. Uh, there, there's a very strong correlation to movies I enjoy in uh, liking the characters, <laughs> and so uh, I ter- I really didn't in- like all of them except for the governess and I'm, I'm pretty certain we're not supposed to like her and to me she was like the sympathetic character and I, I, I actually liked her and I'm like no she's the only one making wise decisions that are kind of beneficial for everyone everyone else seems just kind of selfish in all this yeah yeah and again without giving away what happens in the ending what I will say is I was actually despite all the stuff I've said I was with this movie and and, and, and all right with it mm-hmm. until about five minutes before it ended and then it reminded me of the movie Clue. So for those old enough to remember when the movie Clue came out, you actually ha- it had like different endings tacked onto it depending on which screening you went to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was actually kind of, I think, trying to get people to go see it multiple times. But uh, when it came out on home video, and as you see it now, they just put all three endings together. And when they do, you know, they have the first ending, and then it says, or oh, here's, here's what might have happened. And then they have another ending, and they're like, oh, here's what really happened. And this movie reminded me of that. You, you think it's actually done, and then it's like, no, but here's what could have happened. And ah, I, I was not happy with that, and I don't like what, I, don't, I didn't like what came after. And uh, it kind of, it almost kind of ruined it for me. Yeah, it's like in the editing process, they couldn't decide which ending to go with, so they just went for both of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think uh, it, it, the story progressed so slowly that the rapid pace at the end, they had to fix all the loose ends, and all of a sudden you're just, well, <laughs> the, there's still the gigantic one of, is it over? <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so we've gone over the tomato meter score. Um, Garrett, what would you give this? I, I, I'll give it a four. Ashley? A five. I'm a four as well. Um, so our score is a 4.3. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah. Yeah. So next up, we're going to talk about uh, a David Lynch short. 
mm-hmm. uh, called What Did Jack Do? I'll do the synopsis. Yeah, yeah and Ashley is going to uh, tell us uh, what, what Jack did. Or, or <laughs> tell us what the short's kind of the premise of it is. So this is like a 17-minute short that's mm-hmm. on uh, Netflix. Mm-hmm. Just and, debuted like a week ago or something. Yeah, and it was directed, written, edited, and stars uh, David Lynch. And David Lynch is a, you know, kind of a legendary director, and he is of unique style. And you kind of always know when you're watching a, a David Lynch movie. Um, and this little short is has David Lynch all over it. Um, it has the strange sound design. I don't know if anyone knows So what's that. the plot, though? Uh, oh, the plot is... Um, <laughs> the plot is David Lynch um, talking... He, David Lynch is like playing a, a, a detective, an investigator, and he's interviewing a monkey who is suspected of being a murderer. <laughs> monkey uh, character is Jack Cruz. Yes. The titular, what's it, Jack? The titular character, yes, mm-hmm. Jack. So. And uh, so Garrett, well, <laughs> Garrett is laughing over here. So what, uh, what did you think of the, what did Jack do? This is a doggy monkey. <laughs> uh, so... I mean, frankly, you remember our issues with uh, The Rise of Skywalker where uh, some of the dialogue would just seem like way out of place? You know, oh, yes. yeah, David Lynch is having a, a conversation with himself and it doesn't sound like the monkey's answering it. No, granted, I'm, I'm having this issue and it's the monkey. The monkey shouldn't be answering his questions. The monkey shouldn't be talking. But, uh, yeah, I um, I will say the this little short, it made me laugh a a few times you never know how funny a monkey telling you to go to hell is until you see it uh i did need some explanation over what happened and i i think i understand it uh but it's 17 minutes of just a a tiny little mystery of what happened with this monkey (laughs) yeah i um i have Varying opinions of David Lynch's work. I know Ashley, you're a much bigger fan of his than mm-hmm. I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I like the Elephant Man. Um, I like the Elephant Man, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I like the look of some of his. His, you know, he he sets a, a really good. We talked earlier about atmosphere for you know the turning, and mm-hmm. I think David Lynch is really good at creating atmosphere, yes. and and you know. But sometimes, you know, it's like when he did the movie Inland Empire. I mean, it's famous for like those the family of, of rabbits, right? Yes. Um, and that to me is a wonderful. It's an evocation of uh, of, of weirdness, and and, and I and I love that. I don't necessarily want a lot of it though, mm-hmm. and you get a lot of it. I feel like in Inland Empire, it's three hours. Yeah, long. yeah. and um, this is better. It's only seventeen minutes. <laughs> Uh, I still feel like it could have been edited down a little bit, mm-hmm. but you know, um, it is now Jack is Jack Cruz is credited as himself, but I mean, it's a monkey and it's David Lynch's lips moving in his voice, right? <laughs> Playing Jack. And then David Lynch is doing the knocking, but then, you know, um, Jack is in love with a chicken. So What's Jack, the chicken's name? I can't... Tutudabon. Tutudabon! Yeah. Tutadabon. Tutadabon. And Jack is in love with her. And there appears to have been some sort of triangle between Jack, Tutatabon, and uh, Max or something? Max. Yeah. A character named Max. A little Max. triangle between monkey, chicken, and Max. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever, whoever Whatever Max, Max is. is. Yeah. Max is dead. Yes. They're investigating his murder. Mm-hmm. And David Lynch's detective thinks that Jack did it. Yes. Um, but it's good. It's in black and white. It's, it's kind of a... It's got a... It's, it's 
kind of got this old timey feel to it. It's almost noir aspect. Film noir. Oh yeah. gosh. It's got a musical number. It, it yes, Jack sings. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. <laughs> and I like the last like minute and a half or minute of it. It gets really. Dramatic. dramatic. Like after, you know, 16 minutes of just watching them go back and forth with, with this strange interview that's like comprised of some like non sequiturs and just cliches. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very bizarre interview. But then, yeah, at the last minute, there's like some action that yeah. seems... <laughs> Seems especially dramatic. Given and, the and so you guys tell me what you think they did, because it definitely looked like they had the monkey train purposefully for this. You think they just recorded a monkey for hours and spliced it together? They had like a trained uh, monkey. That's what I feel like. I feel like they had a lot of monkey footage and he just kind of picked some mm-hmm. that he could put his mouth to. Yeah. <laughs> and I found the monkey to be strangely... I mean, I found him to be very... Um, a good actor, almost. Like, he evoked some emotion in me. I, I... Well, we might see more from Jack Cruz. <laughs> yeah. Have you guys, did you guys ever watch uh, Conan O'Brien, uh, his show, when he was, like, on the Late Late Show? Mm. He had this segment where he would be, like, celebrities or politicians. Oh, yes, yes. And the guy would just be a mouth. Mo- That's <laughs> yes. exactly what this monkey was. It was David yes. Lynch's mouth on a monkey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But I found it oddly affecting. It, it's it's interesting, <laughs> and then we're, we're sort of tacking it on to the turning because the turning is also a strange, weird movie. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that's our double feature. Yeah, they both have a good atmosphere. Atmosphere, yeah. Um, thanks for listening, as always. Uh, follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and also dip in on our webpage, smashthemovies.com. Uh, have a good weekend. Yes, thanks for listening. Thank you. 